Hey guys, my name is Amy Bond, owner and CEO of San Francisco Pole and Dance. I will be your host of the new podcast miniseries, Pole Dancers of San Francisco. We're going to talk to some of your favorite pole dancers about everything from training and nutrition to competition preparation and performing. As a new sport and art form, pole dancing is a black box full of questions. How do I train? How do I avoid injury? How do I balance life when pole dancing takes over everything else? With interviews from the top pole dance professionals in our growing industry, my aim is to share knowledge from the Bay Area's finest. I cannot wait to share this show with you. Love and Pole Tricks, Amy. I am here with Carrie Mae Becker. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. Hi. So excited to be here. Thank you. We're excited to have you. You have almost a decade of knowledge and experience as a pole dancer, a pole dance studio owner, a pole dance fitness instructor. Um, So a wealth of knowledge, and we're really excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about your your background in pole dancing? Yeah, absolutely. So I started pole dancing almost 10 years ago. Um, I used to own a studio in Northern Virginia called uh, Pole Pressure. It was one of the Pole Pressure franchises. Um, I originally started uh, taking a class. A girlfriend kind of tricked me into taking a class, and I quickly became addicted. So that was my introduction to pole dancing. I had never done any fitness form before that, so it was very challenging for me. It honestly looked like I was having a seizure on the pole just trying to do a body roll. <laughs> it was it was really bad. I am still to this date um, to have a beginner student that's as bad as I was in my first class. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. So you actually started pole dance without any kind of fitness background. Mm-hmm. What what was what were your hobbies before you started pole dancing um well um boy that's a good question (laughs) um i worked a lot (laughs) um i was married so i spent a lot of time with my husband and friends and just doing friends things and family things um i was not very active we really didn't um you know went to the gym and ran um a little bit but not a lot before that i tried sports in school but was embarrassingly poor at it all but I tried very hard. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and um what did what were you what was your thing growing up like were you a student? So I grew up in small town Wisconsin. Um I was the oldest of four kids. And my family was, um, they were very active with the community. They were paramedics and firefighters. So uh, outside of working, I started working full-time job very young. At the age of 14, you're able to start working in um, Wisconsin as long as you had parents' permission. So I started working very young, and I was working in restaurants and waiting tables and then night managing. And in addition to that, I came on as a volunteer firefighter with um, the local fire department with my dad. Now keep in mind, this is a really, really small town. There's less than a 1,000 people in our town. Um, So that's what I did growing up. And we trained with the firefighters. So we had to put on, um, you know, the air masks and the SCBA unit and the, the garb, I mean, just the jacket and the pants and the boots alone weigh 
I can't even remember how much, but it's like adding an additional me onto my back. They're really heavy. And for, for our listeners, Carrie is what she likes to call fun size. She's a very small human. So I can see the weight of fire person costumes really adding that bulk really fast. Yeah, it would. We did the training with them. We um, uh, Sometimes we had um, trailer homes that were filled with smoke that we had to crawl along and feel your way along, you know, emulating actually being in a burning house and trying to find somebody and pulling them out of that trailer home. Um, sometimes we would light fires and uh, controlled fires and would, um, you know, learn how to use the hose and how to manage the fire and different ways in which you could do that. Um, sometimes we went up and cut holes in roofs um, to let, you know, air escape. We did a lot. So we did a lot, all the training with them, but being in high school, you're underage. So they kind of, they kept you out of actually being inside of a burning building. But I did run the hoses. I did a lot of um, setting up with the fire hydrants, um, a lot of riding in the truck, which was my favorite part. <laughs> did you ring the bell? <laughs> I, uh, I don't think we had Did you bell. go down the pole? There was no pole. Oh. There was no pole in ours. No, unfortunately there wasn't. But there was a lot of climbing. Um, like the fire trucks were really big, so there was like a lot of climbing up onto the fire truck. So maybe that kind of stemmed my whole like monkey bar <laughs> climbing movement. <laughs> okay, so you didn't do a lot of organized sports, but it's fair to say you did a good amount of physical activity yeah. through the volunteer program. Yeah. So when did you leave your, you know, it sounds like you grew up on a, in a small town. When did you end up leaving and what was that experience like for you? So um, as we're heading into high school graduation, I already had an apartment outside of my hometown ready to go. Oh my gosh. Um, I was gone that weekend of graduation. Then what was your shift from, you know, managing and doing more of office type jobs into the fitness industry yeah so um fast forward many years i'm now in northern virginia at this time and i was um i had just i was working i was a, a project manager at verizon and with 9 11 our team got laid off so i went back to school and on the side i started bartending and that's where i kind of got introduced to the world of pole fitness at okay. that time. So pole was literally your introduction to fitness in general. Yes. And you learned about pole dancing while you were bartending. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was my uh, girlfriend that introduced me to pole dancing um, at a studio in Northern Virginia. And it was the type of studio that you know how different studios have different um, focuses totally. sometimes? Mm -hmm. um, this was a studio where um, the owner came from the S-Factor program. Mm -hmm. So it was more about dance, sensual movement, and encouraging women to um, be confident with themselves. Mm -hmm. So it was that type of a, of a, a studio. And this was time. almost 10 years ago. Yeah, this was a long time ago. I think that's really common, the 
more foundational studios have more of this S factor really is what brought pole fitness onto, you know, the underground scene in the United States. So it sounds like that was pretty typical of studios that existed, you know, even seven years ago. Yeah, agreed. A hundred percent. The interesting part about it was it being in super, super conservative Northern Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the first one of uh, uh, in the area at the time. Um, so it was very risque, super risque. Yeah, I mean, well, I lived in Boston when I started doing pole fitness. And even then, I didn't tell anybody. This was seven years ago. Even in Boston, I didn't tell anybody that I was doing pole dancing until, you know, three years after I'd been doing it. For me, I really had no... Um, I was like shouting it from the rafters right off the gate. Oh my I'm, god, like, I love that about you. Holding my arms over my head, showing off the bruises inside my arms, <laughs> wearing sleeveless shirts in the middle of winter just to show off my pole bruises. Um, I was very excited. It was it was it was transforming my life and my body, and I that gave me a whole nother world of excitement that I just couldn't. It's hard to explain. I'd love to try to get you to explain it a little mm-hmm. bit more because as a studio owner, you have probably experienced this as well since because you were also a studio owner. I see emails like this from students all the time who say things like, I started pole dancing four months ago and it's changed the way I look at the world. I started pole dance X months ago and now I feel confident about my body and now I've started a new relationship or a new job or asked for more money or negotiate more effectively or have dropped friends who are actually not that healthy of relationships. And um, can you think of one way that pole changed you outside of the physical way it changed your body? So I think talking about my first two months pole dancing might help explain that a little bit better. Please. So first starting out with it, I was absolutely terrified and very not, not, not great mover. Yes. And, um, and within the first month, I loved it so much. I started taking one class a week. I started taking two classes a week. I started taking three classes a week. By the end of the first month, I had a pole in my house. (laughs) By the end of the second month, I had lost 20 pounds. I was a bit Um. overweight when I started. I wouldn't say I was heavy by any means of the Mm -hmm. imagination, but I was definitely overweight for my body size and type. Um, And so I just completely shredded and lost all of this weight. And there's the physicality side of it, Mm -hmm. yeah, but there's also the confidence. I was a wallflower. I had almost next to no confidence. And as I started to build my confidence, I started realizing that certain things were my life that maybe shouldn't have been... um, my life you know you put all your focus into somebody else because you don't have any confidence in yourself and then you start to develop this confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. and then your focus changes Mm -hmm. on I want to do the things I like to do and I'm comfortable with saying no I'm not interested in that or or this is me just in general this is me 
Yeah. Where before you couldn't say that. You just didn't have the confidence to say that about yourself. That's really helpful to understanding that trajectory. And for anybody who doesn't know Carrie, she's actually one of the most extroverted, enthusiastic, <laughs> just puts herself out there on every tree branch and thing that hangs from the air <laughs> who I know. So it's so funny to hear you say that you actually haven't been that way your whole life because I just had assumed that you were, that you were always just this sure of yourself and this confident. No, I never was. Growing up, I was that quiet person in high school. Um, I had, I was always the sheep in the herd, just trying to follow the herd. Very insecure and um, very sad. Very sad in high school. It was a very sad time for me mm-hmm. because of those things. And pole dancing really helped me find myself, really helped me find my voice, helped me realize what I actually love, mm-hmm. what I'm about, yeah? Yeah. What And being comfortable with saying no. I mean, just being able to be like, no, that's not for me, thank you. Yeah. Or no, I don't want to do that. Or yeah, I really want to do that. And then push into it, you know, have that confidence to really go after what you want. Um, and that pole dancing has definitely... I have to thank 100%. That's amazing. You don't have to answer the next question, but I am curious, how did how did finding pole dancing change your marriage? Mm. So that's, that's a, I will answer it um, because I find, and I have found with a lot of students that I've interacted with in the past, that they went, they've been, also gone through the same thing I have. Mm-hmm. Um, my marriage was very, because of my insecurities, it was very dependent. I was very dependent upon my husband mm-hmm. emotionally and also financially at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and building the confidence that pole dancing gave me, it shifted that to where I was confident. It didn't, he was no longer my focus. Mm-hmm. And that created some problems. When I built my studio when he was supportive Mm -hmm. but he always called it my hobby Mm. even after six years of of, running your own business of running my own business and every month being and Mm -hmm. growing every single month to where I needed to expand into bigger space he still called it my hobby he was um very uh down putting to Mm -hmm. it um, and in the end, he did open up to me that um, it made him feel upset that I was really happy and in a really great place with what I did. And it provided a lot of, um, it filled a lot of things for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was working a job that he was very successful at, but he was very miserable in. Mm-hmm. And so he had a lot of jealousy, yes, Mm -hmm. towards that. And so that also created some friction. The other side, and the thing I hear most, or first and foremost from most of my students, Mm -hmm. is um, with boyfriends or or husbands, is they are really enthusiastic about their wife or partner, whatever the case is, getting into pole dancing because they think, oh, this is going to come home and translate and benefit me. And they're really excited about, hey, oh, they're doing this like yummy, naughty thing and it's going to benefit them in some way. And then it clicks like a month later or two months later where they're like, oh, this is not about me at all. Like, this is 100% about my partner. 
and then all of a sudden it loses this lackluster for them. So here's mm-hmm. one thing that I have really to share and get your pull <laughs> while it still has that lackluster for your partner, okay? Because they're still in that stage where they're excited and they think that you buying this pull is going to benefit them. <laughs> Always surprised by how many students I have who will say things like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to come to classes anymore. It's just causing too many issues in my relationship, my husband slash partner. And it's usually men. It's, you know, my lesbian students really don't seem to have issues with their wives (laughs) not liking them pole dance. But it is really interesting how that that confidence for a lot of people ends up being really hard on their relationships. And I think your experience is really powerful because I see this with students all the time. So you obviously chose pole, (laughs) you know, so to speak. I did. I did for sure chose pole. So do you think that shift in your own confidence, not necessarily pole dancing specifically, but the effect that pole dancing had on your confidence and your ability to see yourself differently um, is one of the reasons that you left the marriage? It's, it could, it definitely catered to me being able to feel like I could leave the marriage. There were reasons um, outside of pole why, why I left the marriage. But if I didn't have that confidence that, that I started to develop thanks to pole dancing, then I probably would be in a very miserable marriage to this day. Mm. Um, it definitely gave me the confidence to believe in myself that I could be on my own and move on and still be happy. So let's fast forward to after the marriage, <laughs> after the divorce. <laughs> you got divorced yep. and you were still running your studio. How did you land in San Francisco? Because this was out in Northern Virginia. Yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting um, conversation in itself. So the studio, um, the studio, we had um, a good size home in Northern Virginia and the studio was actually in the basement of the home. Oh, weird. Oh, yeah. It was challenging. <laughs> my hu- my husband at the time, for all of his faults, he was um, a very diplomatic person. Yes? <laughs> so we lived separately in separate rooms in the home for a, a period. Oh, but you time. stayed in the same home. Well, I had another apartment that I was working on furnishing, and I was working. I had things in the works. Mm -hmm. Um, I was looking at studio space because the studio had already way outgrown itself long before, but um, just things didn't really come together to where I could make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was looking at studio space, and I actually signed on studio space, and then within the same week I signed on this space, I found out that one of the instructors, uh, one of my previous instructors, who I love, by the way, Mm -hmm. had... Um, been building out another studio a block from the space I had I had signed on oh interesting and you didn't know I had no idea she was very she kept it very hush um which is okay um so it was very hush until like it was the week she was opening and then it was this grand announcement which just so happened to be the same week Mm. and in in um you know, suburban northern Virginia a block away is way 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 too close 
Yeah, right. people are used to driving in Northern Virginia. It's not like San yeah. Francisco, or if it's not on your block, people aren't going to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was able, thankfully, I was able to get out of the lease, but I still was trying to figure out what was what was going to be that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always wanted to live in San Francisco, and since the divorce, I had kind of um, started to lay out a roadmap towards San Francisco because cool. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for a change. I need a change. Mm-hmm. So the plan was to open a studio space. I had somebody that was going to manage it mm-hmm. and then move out to San Francisco and look at opening something out here because in my visits to San Francisco many, many years previous, there was no pole studio. There was one pole yeah. studio. There, yeah. yeah, there wasn't really mm-hmm. a pole studio in San Francisco that was more of a trick style, not mm-hmm. an S-Factor style until Vertical Bar and San mm-hmm. Francisco Pole and Dance. That They're really until a year ago that didn't really exist out here agreed agreed for sure i mean south of the city potential's been there for a long time but in the city proper Mm -hmm. there really wasn't anything so i saw this huge opportunity yeah to expand and grow so my plan was to open a pole pressure franchise out here Mm. in san francisco and then what ended up being the stumbling box there so um, I met my new husband, my current husband in San. In um, I love San that DC. you call him your new husband. My new husband, <laughs> the new <laughs> current husband in in DC, and he happened to live here. Oh, great! Which the world was speaking to me. It just yes. kind of right. Um, and so I moved here, and I ended up deciding to close the studio in um, instead of expanding into new space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I closed it, and I had um, passed the torch of my students to my previous instructor who had opened that new space that Mm -hmm. I mentioned, Um, which was great because I knew she would have a great program because I trained her. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she's an awesome person. (laughs) And so I knew they would be in fantastic hands Mm -hmm. with her program. So I moved here, and as soon as I hit the ground here, I started looking at studio space. Um, I had put two offers in on different spaces, one down on um, the Visadero oh, in nice. Nopa, and then another one down on California, um, California and Polk. Mm. The one on the Viz, I ended up getting outbid mm. by somebody else on the space. It was an awesome, awesome location, but as far as a studio, it would have definitely had its challenges for studio layout, Mm. but the interior was amazing, and the location, you really couldn't beat it, and the price was great. Oh, man. So, I was really sad about that. for our listeners, we're talking about San Francisco real estate right now, which right now is really hard (laughs) for small businesses, because you have all of these tech startups who are able to pay three to five years rent in advance in cash down now. Um, so I under I understand the challenges of trying to find real estate, especially as a pole studio, because there are still a lot of outdated perceptions about what a pole studio is and who the clientele is and what it means. Um, so I can see that being actually really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But the one surprise that I really had is is how um, commercial real estate out here was less expensive than residential real estate. Oh, yeah, that's a real thing. That was shocking to me. <laughs> I'm like, how is it possible? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, how can, can I make it happen that I can live upstairs <laughs> in my pool studio? Because, because um, wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is really weird, but and not surprising if you are used to paying rent in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the time, I was not used to paying rent in San Francisco, so that was surprising. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that was that space. And then the other space was attached. Um, it was it was awesome. The studio, the, the ceilings, the flooring, the walls, everything would have been perfect. There was a back office that had a two-way mirror, which I was oh, like, oh, that was kind of fun. That's nice. Um, with lots of storage. Um, and it had a lobby, like a big lobby that you could walk into. It would be like walking oh into like the Soul Cycle, where it has this like perfect lobby, and then the studio is behind it. It wow. really was optimal space and the pricing was a little bit more than the other one but still reasonable but it had a full build out like literally everything would need to be built out which Mm. is insanely expensive as you know absolutely the biggest downfall to this space though is that it was adjoining to a um to a physical therapy office Hmm. and the wall on um my side wasn't built out yet okay so it really was one layer of sheetrock and then two by fours, which is okay, but the wall needs to be built out and some soundproofing because they're a very quiet operation, even though we have very much different hours of operation, primarily, I mean, Mm -hmm. mainly evenings, and they're closed during the evenings. So um, in the end, the owner um, had a contractor come through um, with a soundproofing solution, and then I had my own contractor come through with a soundproofing solution, um, and they both came to the same solution, um, which I was like, great, perfect. awesome, yes, perfect. And we had settled on terms for the lease. Like, everything was practically signed, sealed, and delivered at this point. Was there a permit issue? No, no, there was no permit issues. Um, sounds too good to be true. What happened? The In the end, the owner backed out because even though they came to the same soundproofing solution, he just didn't want to create any waves. And so it just helped him sleep better at night, waiting and hoping, you know, going with something else. Um, so it was really sad. So these things happened and then shortly Um, me and my husband took some time to think about this and literally a few months after that he was diagnosed with testicular cancer oh wow um so for the next year we were going through surgeries chemo him not being able to work because he's you're literally in chemo Mm. five days a week for eight hours a day um in and out of the hospital because his white blood count count uh, cell count drops too low and then he catches a cold from being on the street and that puts him back in the emergency room and so um so So was it one of those pivotal moments in your life where you were like you know what this is what really matters right now this is what I'm going to focus on this being your husband and fighting an illness and fighting for his life you have no option Right. You, I mean, it is what it is. You pull on your, you pull up your big girl pants, <laughs> and you freaking do what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, there, there is nothing. Mm. You know, it ends there. He couldn't work, so that burned through everything we had in savings, just mm-hmm. trying to um, afford to live in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we had to move into a new apartment, so we're living literally hop skip and a jump off the tl Mm -hmm. in a 400 square foot studio apartment that Mm -hmm. we're paying two thousand dollars plus a month for Mm -hmm. plus seven hundred and fifty dollars a month for parking so three thousand dollars a month in rent yeah he's sick 
I'm working three jobs. Oh my god! To make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was not. It was a very hard time. But again, as they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Well, you're one of the strongest <laughs> people I know, both Thank physically you. and mentally. So <laughs> <laughs> I've no. I am not surprised that you got through that. Um, with as much grace as you did. Because I don't think very many people in your life knew about that time while it was happening. Yeah, we, it's definitely not something you broadcast. But mm-hmm. um, I was teaching at Potential mm-hmm. in Redwood City, and my Potential family there definitely helped me get through um, the times. Christina kept feeding me extra classes to mm-hmm. help me pay bills. and um, So for listeners who don't know, Potential is a studio over in Redwood City, mm-hmm. It actually just celebrated an eleven yeah. their eleventh anniversary. So they've been like the OG pole dance yeah. studio in the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. for eleven years. They're like the original one. Um, and Christina Warren Kish is the woman who pioneered and founded that studio. And that's who you're referring to, yeah. Yes, that's mm-hmm. who I'm referring to. Yeah, she was definitely a a rock and always checking in on me and. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, And I think that really speaks to just pole community in general. I think there are a lot of communities in this world where they're like the things we share hobbies, but it's a little bit casual of a relationship. And I have not experienced relationships in the muggle world that are, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that are as deep or as um, multifaceted in their connection as the one in pole communities. And you're experience kind of speaks to that absolutely I've seen it a million times Mm -hmm. whether it's one of my students you know going through a hard time and needing to crash at my house or or um, when I used to uh, compete a lot and I traveled and taught a lot of workshops abroad there was always somebody letting me you know crash on their their couch or you know willing to put me up it didn't matter where I was going Oklahoma or Atlanta or Mm -hmm. you know there the pole community you just have to call somebody up I had Benjamin Hunt who is who is a a male pole dancer out on the east coast he once literally showed up on my doorstep knocking (laughs) random daytime middle of the week just knocked on my doorstep and he's like hey how's it going and I'm like it's great what are you up to and he's like I don't know I'm just hanging out and I'm like all right bring it in let's go (laughs) and so I I can't remember how long he was there but he literally just like showed up And you were like, come on in. Come on in. Welcome to my family. But yeah, the pole family is very much like that. It doesn't matter where you go or who you interact with. They're very Mm -hmm. welcoming. And and, um, yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about training, like getting into the specifics of pole dancing and training for pole dance competitions and performances and all the things. So you've been teaching pole dancing for how long? Oh, almost 10 years now. Wow. And in that time, have you noticed some consistent kind of places where people maybe train harder, not smarter? Or what What are some common mistakes that you see beginner pole dance students make? Yeah. Well, back in the day, we didn't know what we were doing, so we just trained harder. <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely was not smarter. <laughs> um 
But I'm very happy that I did that because now I learn from my mistakes to be able to share with my students mm-hmm. to set them up for success easier. So I'm I'm 100% about the steps. Yes. Every move, whether it's something as simple as your first invert or learning something like a fungi, mm-hmm. there's always safe and accurate steps to get to that move. Mm-hmm. It's like building a house. I, I, my students hear me preach this all the time. With building a house, you have to lay a solid foundation, right? You mm-hmm. put in the foundation, the blocks, okay? If you don't have a solid foundation, the rest of the house is going to come crashing down. Mm-hmm. And that, in the pole world, would be your body falling apart on you, yeah. right? And we see that a lot in we the pole world. People lot. training really hard, maybe harder than their bodies are used to or faster than their bodies are used to. And so... We do, unfortunately, still have a lot of injuries in pole Mm -hmm. dance because it's such a new sport. Yes, and that's where it's our responsibility as instructors to be able to know how to build that solid foundation for our students. You know, teach them how to lay the bricks and Mm -hmm. then put on the walls and then the windows. And every move's like that. Mm -hmm. There's this and then this and then this. And sometimes people skip those steps because they just want to get to that end piece. But it's skipping those steps that are going to cause injury or lead to imbalances Mm -hmm. or injuries that you see later on because you're doing those moves wrong. And if you set it up for success for your students... They're going to be happier, healthier, and achieve success faster. So to move from the hypothetical to the really specific, can you name like five of those building blocks? Is it a pull-up? Is it, what are the five building blocks that you would say are the most important things that beginner level students should be training Mm -hmm. every time they come into the studio? Well, I was originally, when I, when I talk about these steps I think very specific to each individual skill like there's very specific steps to each individual skill but as far as the training side Mm -hmm. some things that I think are very important um, for training that translate to pull Mm -hmm. um, absolutely um, focusing on your abdominal and your core work Mm body perception, like your core awareness, your proprioception, doing different activities that help you build your body awareness, like Mm -hmm. what's moving, what's engaging, like just knowing how your body feels, Mm -hmm. just standing there and being able to tell what's working and what needs to be working. Um, Upper body strength, absolutely. I find that um, of course, the more upper body strength that you have in pole, the more success you're going to find. And, um, you know, that can begin with just chin-ups, pull-ups, um, um, or cross-training with other aerial apparatuses, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get super boss on upper body strength, go for the aerial fabric. Grip strength, it's aerial so hard. fabric. It's so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. It is so hard. But it's going to translate really fast. You take an aerial fabric class, the next week you're going to feel super boss in your aerial handstands because you can hold on for days. That's true. So it all really, um, they all benefit each other. The more classes you take in different things, whether it's, I mean, even outside of the aerial world, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh Taking a Zumba class is going to be able to help you, you know, learn how to move better on stage for putting together choreography. Absolutely. Um, 
let me see, a cardio kickboxing class is going to get your cardio endurance up so that when you do those long pole sequences, you're not about ready to pass out by the time you get (laughs) back down to the floor. It all translates. And the variety, variety is really important. Challenge. Mm -hmm. Challenge is the most important thing. Challenge yourself because without challenge, you never change. Yeah. If you do the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same results. Yeah. Carrie and I just went surfing this morning and we are both, <laughs> we're both terrible surfers, but I definitely used body parts and muscles that I had no idea were going to be working. So yeah. even if you're terrible, that's yeah. probably more of a reason to do the thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Challenge yourself and everything translates. Um, I'd love to know, how do you train? Do you do pole every day? Do you cross train? I know that you are a group fitness instructor and a general manager at Crunch Gyms in San Francisco. Do you mainly use your classes that you teach as cross training or what does your training regimen look like? Yeah. So I like, um, I work with a personal trainer twice a week. Oh, nice. I am a certified personal trainer. Mm-hmm. The reason why I work with a personal trainer is um, twofold. One, they're going to get me off of the computer so that I'm not doing office work all day um, and I'm held accountable, right? I need to feel like I've got somebody helping me hold myself accountable. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then two, they're going to make me do the smart things that I don't necessarily love doing. Mm-hmm. For example, the rotator cuff work, which we know in pole is always very, you know, is a common injury in pole dancers. He's going to make me sure I'm, make sure I'm doing those things mm-hmm. that are not necessarily uh, sexy in that I love doing them, but mm-hmm. are smart yeah. and are going to help me um stay healthy and also the things that are going to help me reach my goals like my aerial deadlifts yay yay (laughs) so I work with a personal trainer twice a week um but um if you're not doing that I recommend strength training strength training definitely translates do you think lifting or body work strength training what kind of strength training do you prefer all of the above Mm -hmm. TRX work push-ups lifting I like my focus right now is going maximal weight Mm. so instead of doing high repetition low weight Mm -hmm. we're pushing lower repetition higher weight Mm -hmm. because that's going to translate to me being able to push my butt over my head easier Mm -hmm. you know I need to be able to press 115 pounds (laughs) okay as she surveys her body (laughs) yeah um, over my head, right? Mm-hmm. So if I can't push that with barbells, am I going to be able to push my body over my head? In the air. Yeah, right? <laughs> In the air. So right now, my focus is going for maximal weight. Mm-hmm. So I do weight training. I also do enjoy running. Um, it's going to help me with my cardio endurance for um, teaching and sequencing. Everybody's body type's a little different. Um, it's not necessarily the solution. In addition to that, my classes. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. A lot of people think that, oh, you're a fitness instructor. You should be really like super, super strong. And here's the thing though. When you do, um, fitness teaching full time, you have to very, be very, very smart about what you do and what you don't do. Because Mm -hmm. if you do do all of it, you will be very injury prone. Mm-hmm. and doing dealing with injuries all the time, which is a mistake I made when I first started teaching. Mm. 
Um, also, if I'm doing the whole class, I'm not there for my students. I'm not there giving them pointing, you know, cues on, you know, tuck this or lift that or keep your elbows in those important things. So totally. when I teach, I'm not, I do demonstrate mm-hmm. and help and do some of the movement, but I'm there for my students more than anything. So I don't really count my classes as working out. That makes sense. That said, I watch your classes that you teach at San Francisco Pole and Dance every Wednesday, three classes back to back. And especially with your hot seat class. Well, that is some cardio. That hot and seat I watch class. you do it. I watch you do it all the time. That class is probably the hardest class I teach, I gotta tell you. It is, I actually it had is a, hard. a friend come to visit and he couldn't even hang through the full warm-up he was he had to leave 10 minutes in yeah we do we do a good 10 minute warm-up it's three three to four songs um of chair fitness but it's mm-hmm. it's like sexy chair fitness if you imagine doing like a chair dip and then instead of just dipping you're like doing like hip thrusts or you're like i call it throw your pussy yes. we throw our pussy <laughs> and you can make a chair workout exotic and fun and i used to teach teach of an hour-long class that was a hundred percent chair workout <laughs> so do you ch- change your training up when you are training for competitions? yes absolutely mm-hmm. when I'm competing I, I like to start early out like three months out yep and um it's building the choreo it's every day depending upon what I'm doing that mm-hmm. day so if I'm focusing more on floor work one day, then the next day I'll be focusing on the aerial sequences because you need to give your body a chance to recover in between. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm doing one day where I'm doing heavy aerial sequences, the next day I'm doing you know floor work or right. dance. You have to give yourself that time in between. Mm-hmm. And even when it comes down, that's why you start so far out, even when it comes down to the wire where it's, you know, a couple of weeks before, you want to make sure you're not pushing it every day because that's that's why you see a lot of people injure, going into their competition with injuries mm-hmm. because they are pushing it every single day and your body's not given a chance to repair the muscle, yeah, to rebuild that strength. And so they're going into an everyday training fatigued and that's when the injuries are happening. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the three-month time frame has become pretty standardized across professional pole artists yeah. That for competition training. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I will usually do three months just because I know there will be one or two weeks where I'm going to go on vacation or maybe be out or if I have an injury, then I have that time to not worry and just heal instead mm-hmm. of pushing through it. And even though you might not need three months, that three months goes by real quick. <laughs> yeah, it does. How far out do you um, usually have your pole routine rough drafted? Oh, it would make me really, really sleep well at night if it was a month out, but that <laughs> almost never happens. It's my goal, but it almost never happens. This last go around, I think it was two weeks out, it mm-hmm. was set. Great. And then the rest of it was just rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. And did you run it every day? Did you run it every other day after you had your rough draft routine? Or If I ran it full one day, then the next day I would do pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. I would mark it and do pieces because 
I just wouldn't want to push my body that much, mm-hmm. um, especially because my last one I had uh, Fonji in the sequence. Yeah. And I have, um, when I first learned Fonji, I had some pretty severe injuries because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it correctly. Again, there's nobody mm-hmm. back then to really teach you the proper way of doing it. Um, who are your some of your favorite pole dance instructors to train with? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, let me start with more recently. Okay. And then go back from there. Okay. So more recently, uh, we, you and I have gone and trained with Aaron Ghirinelli (laughs) out in Sacramento. And I loved training with Aaron. Yeah. Her energy is off the charts. (laughs) I have never met anybody with so much energy and I love it. It makes me feel like such a winner. (laughs) That's such a good way of putting it. She does. It makes you feel like such a winner and she's so great at breaking down the skills Mm -hmm. for success. And also a really great spotter. An awesome spotter. Mm -hmm. Um, So her, um, she is absolutely fantastic. Um, Natasha Wang is great. Zaria Judd. Awesome. So many. So SD Zakar is fantastic. Mm, love SD. So Janine so- Butterfly is a beautiful person to work with and an excellent coach. Yeah. Launching off of the pole onto my ass. <laughs> what are some things that you notice about people training for competitions that you think are unhealthy behaviors? Or are there any? I do see a lot of people trying to cut weight and and cut their diet right Mm. before competition, which can work against you Mm. Um, because if you're not getting the proper nutrition, then your muscle's not properly repairing. Mm. If they're training that hard, they're going to slim down. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're training every day, just your body, your muscle is going to burn your extra fat storage and you're going to slim down. Um, Don't be focused on on losing weight before you get on stage if you're cutting you're not going to have the fuel that you need for training and Mm -hmm. um, it's going to lead to injury yeah that's a really great point um so that's one of the things i see um also a lot of people i mean it's easy to say but hard to do Mm -hmm. we get really stressed out going into the competition especially the week before me I'm guilty of it I mm. like become super antisocial. <laughs> I don't want to deal with anybody I don't deal dra- with drama well <laughs> if there's any waves at work I can't handle <laughs> um and and um people get really stressed out when they go out on stage mm-hmm. what are some things that you've done that you have found to be helpful in preventing that anxiety or that stress there's two different directions. Mm-hmm. There is knowing that I get stressed out the week before. I just kind of tidy my life a mm-hmm. little bit so that everything feels tidy going into so that there's less stressors of those little things that I know stressed me the week before. Yeah. So I set up for it, expecting it. Cool. The day of, and it's mainly right before you go on stage, a lot of people watch the people before them. And I never do. And I always, I, I do feel bad because a lot of those people are um, people I train with, people that I know. Your friends. My friends, mm-hmm. right? And so I try to give them a heads up. I'm like, I love you. Kill it. I mm-hmm. won't be watching. Mm-hmm. But 
um, because if you watch them, it's going to change how you feel in mm-hmm. your head, right? You're going to mm-hmm. get more nervous. You're going to be like, wow, they did this. I didn't have that in. Am I, am, is my routine going to be good enough? You start having all these self-doubts. Mm-hmm. And what you need to do is just go into it with, I have my plan. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the best I can. Yep. I'm going to execute to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to enjoy it. Love and that. I always take this huge breath right before I walk on stage. I literally will be right there. I got this huge breath. I exhale. I spit in my hands. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Can't I do. Spit in I spit in my hands because for some reason, like, like I have sticky charm. spit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like a frog. <laughs> and then I go out and I do my thing. And mm-hmm. so I try to I try to tell my people, the people I work with, and my friend, my friends, and my students. Mm-hmm. All right, don't watch. <laughs> Breathe. Yep. Exhale. If you need more than one, take, take it. it. <laughs> and then go out and just be with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know that you are putting on your own competition. Can you tell us a little bit about? Um, what that is, when it is, how people can sign up, like what have what have you got going on behind the scenes? Yeah, sure. So one of my uh, one of my other passions. So Paul introduced me to Ariel mm-hmm. and other forms of Ariel. Paul is a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that introduced me to Ariel Hoop mm-hmm. um, many many years ago. And um, just fast forward to recently, for time's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, Recently, the aerial competitions in the United States kind of have taken a backseat for different reasons. So there isn't an opportunity for um, aerial hoopers or aerialists to get out and perform and share their art and challenge themselves like we get to with pole these days. I think that's so surprising, actually. Why do you think that is? You know, um... I'm not really sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure part of it's probably financial because there's a great deal of cost for putting on these events. Absolutely. Time, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, finding somebody with that time and finding somebody that has the passion to really kind of drive it because mm-hmm. you have to, um, you know, it can't just be a hobby. Yeah. You literally, there is a lot when it comes you to it. You have to make a business. You it's a business. You need to be able to drive it. You mm-hmm. need to have that that background and that that business sense in order mm-hmm. to make it successful. Um, so yeah, there hasn't been one. So that's what we're starting. Cool. So we're starting. It's Aerial Arts Association. Love it. Um, and kicking off in 2018. And it's an opportunity for those who are passionate about aerial hoop mm-hmm. to get out and perform on the big stage in a fun, super supportive environment that's professional. And where is this? When is it? Where is it? Well, we're kicking it off here in our backyard, San Francisco. Yay! Woo-hoo. Cool. Um, it's in the Mission at Brava Theater. Awesome. And it's uh, Saturday, March 24th. And just very similar to um, the more popular pole competitions, mm-hmm. there are, it's multi-level okay. so that anybody at any level can challenge themselves or create this opportunity for themselves. So it's not just a professional competition. There, there, are, uh, there are different amateur levels with mm-hmm. a professional category at the end. And the professional category... Um, is going to be amazing. I'm super excited about this. There are people coming from all over the United States, all over the world. Oh my god! To compete in pro, it's awesome. That's people so are super excited about the pro, um, 
the pro competition. So yeah, it's going to be split. We'll do a little break before heading into the pro competition in the evening. That sounds super exciting. What makes you feel like you are the person to put this competition on? (laughs) Well, and um, I have a support staff that's going to help me make sure that it's uh, put off um, really well and Mm -hmm. professionally handled. And then I have the passion. Mm -hmm. I have the passion to drive it home. Don't you also run a company that does aerial hoop certifications around the country? Yes. Um, the company is called CircFit. Oh, awesome. And we do um, aerial ho- uh, Lyra teacher certification. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking those passionate about Lyra or those existing um, Lyra instructors and giving them the tools to be an effective and safe instructor. The thing I found is we've got, you know, people who are awesome performers or may not know how to teach spotting or may not know how to put together a lesson plan or may not know how to build a mm-hmm. move to success um, and giving them the tools so that they can be a great teacher and set their students up for success. So you've done a training in San Francisco. You recently did a training in Los Angeles. I think you have a training coming up in Miami. Are you launching this nationwide? Yeah. So we've done um, a couple of trainings in New York, a couple in LA, a couple here. Yeah. Cool. Um, We've done one in Miami. We've got another one coming up in Miami here. Um, I'm working to get something um, kicked off here in um, Canada, um, in the Chicago, Detroit area. And then um, we're also working on taking it international. Um, We're working on settling dates for training in Kuwait next year. So you're going international with this program. Yeah, we're going all over the place. This is what I'm finding. It's really needed because, um, as you may know, being a pole studio owner, a lot of pole studios these days are adding aerial hoop to their repertoire Mm -hmm. because the movements translate really well. It's Mm -hmm. a great apparatus, doesn't take up a lot of space. It's fairly inexpensive to kick off, yeah? Mm -hmm. And it's another great offering you can offer your students. Um, And there's a lot of pole studios that are now offering hoop who want their pole instructors to also be able to teach hoop. Mm -hmm. So the majority of what I'm finding these days are pole instructors who want to teach hoop. So a translatable skill set that requires a little bit of extra training in order to learn the spotting and Mm -hmm. the right technique for this apparatus. Exactly. The spotting is way more challenging in aerial hoop. So it's very, Mm -hmm. very detailed. Well, Carrie, it's been so much fun chatting with you and hearing your thoughts about how you've pioneered really the space in Ariel Lira, how you're kicking off this competition, um, and how you've been a leader in the pole industry for almost a decade now. So we feel really lucky to be been able to chat with you. Do you have any final um, like messages or anything that you would want to leave your listeners with? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Amy. It was so much fun chatting with you. Um, And I love being able to share my story, and hopefully it will um, help others in one way or another, Mm -hmm. whether it's motivating or finding that challenge item for you or pushing through a little bit of trouble you might be having at home with your newfound pole pole love. (laughs) Um, um, I would say if I was to leave your listeners with anything, it would be... Um, love yourself, um, be a badass, Yes. and just push through. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much, Amy.